0: How you doing? This is the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 165. I'm your host, Bruce.
1: Hey, and I'm Peter, and we are the Epic Experiment, talking all things Magic the Gathering today. If you like what you're hearing, we are on thelotuscouncil.com, as well as on some Discord servers. And uh, we are just together uh, for the first time in a few weeks. We are discussing... A uh, nuanced conversation today.
0: So what? Yeah, um, just just the two of us today. though, Isn't it? Just the two of us. Yeah. Third voice today. Just yeah. the two um, of us. Please don't put that on. Just man. the
1: two of us. Oh no. We can make
0: it. No. Okay. Oh. I'll stop. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is why you
1: die first in the games we play, because otherwise it's just uh, yeah,
0: Well, I mean, I, I just sing for you, buddy. I just sing for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. And if you want to get a hold of us, go check the show notes. You can find out how to reach out to us on all the social medias. We'd love to have you reach out to us. Tell us that you like my singing and want more of it. All right. So we're gonna start tonight with some garbage or great. Pete, are you ready? I'm always ready. Let's do it. All right. Up first, we got Tomek, wielder of law. As is my way, I like to find new cards that I think are sweet, and Tomek is pretty cool. So Tomek is a one white black for a two four flying human advisor, and he's got affinity for planeswalkers, and he has flying and vigilance. And then whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or Planeswalkers you control, that opponent loses three life and you draw a card. Pete, what do you think? This card's new and kind of spicy.
1: Uh, well, I... Don't really care about this card. i I think oh. it's gonna. I think it's gonna be. Yeah, I think it's gonna be like a dollar or like maybe two dollars. And I don't
0: want to be very. Ex- I I don't want to be expensive. I think well, this card here's my into. Oh 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 Okay, he's gonna tell me I'm an idiot now. Okay. No no, really- no 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 no. no. <laughs> I
1: just. I I like that they're trying to do some things with like affinity or whatever. If they're bringing that back because. Uh... Black and white historically their planeswalkers are super impactful already I think this this card is meant to be a very political commander card but in terms of one on one it's probably not that good but then in commander I feel like I don't see the appeal when when there are other cards that punish your opponents for being greedy But it doesn't. It doesn't uh, promote combat. Is what I'm trying to say. Like, as a card, I feel like you could easily just solo somebody with a creature that's larger than this thing, and punch it, or kill it with with a removal spell. So it doesn't. Like at least uh, Mangar the Diplomat had more, uh, like, political avenue. This just doesn't seem that good to me. As okay, a, as a scattered creature.
0: Okay, well, I think you're you're out to launch a little. So I think this is okay. Really? So three mana for a two four flyer, I think, is a really good rate for a card. Um, for, the and what does it for me is the vigilance. Like the vigilance, the fact mm-hmm. that you can play this on, on offense and plays on defense is really appealing. Um, the affinity piece, I don't think, is actually pertinent outside of, outside of one on one constructed formats. I think when you might be able to resolve a a, a kaya or some other like inexpensive like an like an Elspeth or something like that like i don't think that's really going to impact the way we do in commander because i don't think planeswalkers see a lot of play in commander what i do think this is good because this is like this is going to force your opponents to decide do i want to like ta- attack this person with more than two creatures and have them draw cards and me, me lose life or do I want to, like, limit the damage I'm going to take from that attack elsewhere? So, so it kind of was a cross between, like, Crawl Space and Asperius, um from RTR. That's Arceana. a stretch.
1: That is a stretch.
0: I, I don't think so. The fact, really returns, the fact that Return can return you a card, and the fact that this forces your opponent to decide if they're going to want to try and attack with more than one creature, like, I think this is actually going to make people if, really think about it you put this in a com ball list or some list that's gonna already be taxing those sorts of resources this sort of deck this sort of card is gonna play really well in that sort of scenario and make your opponents the the task of having to fight through this, oh, multiple yeah. things is gonna be really, really impactful
1: so i I disagree because like a tokens player or someone who's going wide anyway they don't really care like if I have three five fives and it's swinging at you and you get to ping me for three and you draw a card first like if you just draw a dead card you can't react to me anyway that you, you okay great you get an extra card in your hand but at that point like if, if i'm playing a deck that's supposed to just attack every turn i don't care what you're doing uh to react with my board as long as you don't board wipe me i know it might draw you into the board wipe, but at that point like mango mangara has been a split card for me because there are certain times where it works really well, but that's only because they cast their second spell each turn. Yeah. But this, this card is so restrictive. Where like a lot of players, they don't. They're very hesitant to attack sometimes. Anyway, again, what I'm yeah. trying to say is that's, like, a, that's, I, a,
0: that's what I see. That's what I want to. I want to further that ma- to and further disincentivize that. them.
1: You want yeah. to disincentivize players more to attack to not attack. Yeah. So, yeah. And
0: like, so the I your get deck that, has. I get a, that,
1: but I just. I don't think it matters because of the sort of the way oh, like man. the going wide is. I know, and I hope you played against me so I, you proved me wrong. But like, I guess then um, that's just where where I'm at at this point.
0: Oh man, I think I yeah, I think this is gonna further distance analyze people wanting to attack, and you're right. I think a lot of people are very tentative to attack now already, and when you put this in conjunction with other pieces that are going to make it difficult or challenging for people to want to to get into the red zone then you're going to slow down the pace of play this is exactly what the orzhov player wants the orzhov player wants to slow down the pace of play because generally speaking the or- orzhov deck is going to struggle to match resource for resource with decks particularly blue decks mm-hmm. So, you're going to get Tomic there to help gum it up, Gumball is going to slow things down, like, for force opponents to... I mean, Mangala plays in that, too. Like, they're gonna... It's like, there's they're, they're soft, stacked pieces that, that I think are the sort of... where I think I want to take my play, because what it does is it forces my opponents to make choices. So, they still have agency over their play in the game, but then forces them to make the decision, do I want to... Provide additional resources to an Orzhov player, or do I want to not and but like limit my my board development, limit my game plan uh, until such time as I be sure that. And either way, like you're giving me the Orzhov player more resources, or you're giving or you're slowing down your own game rate, which I I think in either scenario plays into the hands of an Orzhov deck far more uh, far more clearly than it would most other strategies. So. That's why I'm looking at Tomek. I'm like, this looks appealing. And then the fact that it is already has visuals and, is a, and has a vision that you can start chipping in at people and putting their life total under pressure. I think this is like a really cute little package that is, sure, it's not going to be expensive, and it's never going to be what wins you the game, but it's this sort of like repeatable, repeated stacks effect that is, gives your opponents choices that's going to make them want to slow down and either not target you or not like deploy their full game plan on uh, like ab- bear it at you. And it's not as oppressive as playing like playing a ghostly prison or a sphere of safety because those can like those literally draw huge amounts of hate because they stop it, it stop you dead in your tracks. So right. I like Tomic, I think it's a really interesting tool that people are gonna like and I think a lot of people are gonna I'm play just... it and find I'm it underwhelming, just... like you said.
1: I'm just skeptical because of the fact that the aggressive decks don't care about that necessary card advantage because uh-huh. they're trying to beat you up as fast as possible. So that extra card in hand and that three life really doesn't, in my opinion, from the games i played recently as well, have sort of factored into this decision. They're like these sorts of like decision making choices. They work sometimes very well and sometimes they don't. But again, we'll see. And I hope you play it against me because I...
0: I I think it's going to be my Regna and Krav deck, and I think it's actually, I think it's going to play really nicely there.
1: Yeah, Regna so. and Krav is already enough value, my friend.
0: Well, yes, but <laughs> but hey, it's it's, it's, anyway. I, uh, I understand. What did you, what did you find today? What did you find? Okay, this
1: is a card that you think is terrible, but I think it's
0: absolutely I think, awful.
1: I think it's playable. Okay, this card is a land that they printed in Murders of Karlov, and no, it's not the Surveil Lands, but we'll get to those eventually, because those are great too. It's mm-hmm. called it's called scene of the crime. So it's a great, a nice, you know, nice sort of mimi card. But it's an artifact land. That's a clue as well. It enters tapped. Uh, tap it to add a colorless. Tap an untapped creature. Control. Add one man of any color. You can pay two. Sacrifice it. Draw a card. Bruce, what do you think?
0: I think it's bad. I don't want it. So I don't. So I don't like the fact that this comes... To, like, I do like the fact there's an Artifact Land. So that, that, to me, I didn't catch it the first time through. Artifact Land is interesting because there's lots of decks that want Artifacts. Um, the fact that it makes Colors mana sure whatever, it's fine. The ability to tap, like, a Springleaf Drum is not, some, is not something I'm interested in, even slightly. Um, I think that is a hugely taxing effect that people forget the impact of. And more often than not, and so I don't, I don't want that. if That ability is not something I'm interested in. The fact that I can sack it and draw a card is of, I mean, is marginal value. So I'll, the fact that this comes into play tapped and just generate colored mana to me is what holds. So, so what to me holds us back. And so I look at this card and I'm like, you have to really be in a deck. This is what this is. It's a colorless land. It doesn't generate any colored mana unless you you have you have a, a body on the board. You're prepared to t- use that body to tap to make colored mana. So now you have, taken one of your blockers out of commission. Like you don't want to see this until the late stages of the game, anyway. And at that point, this is a very low impact. So I, I don't want this card. Like I don't. I don't want I don't want, this, I don't want to, unless I'm playing a colorless deck. I don't want to play this card. So I'm out. I think it's absolute waste of time. Um, and I mean, so, sure, maybe maybe you put it in a deck that's sacrifice. Like you put it in your sacrificing clues deck, but I'm I'm out on this.
1: I, I think it's it's more applicable for decks that need a little bit more card advantage that historically are unable to get it, or they can leverage uh, sacrificing that card for. A greater payoff, like Duretti, for example, right? Duretti, Mono Red, sack it. You can pull back something expensive. Um, Landfall decks. It's not going to be my first choice for that, but it can still do some interesting things, especially when your goal is to go wide with tokens. And also, I like that you can sack it to draw a card immediately, even though it mm-hmm. comes in tapped. You yeah. can literally just replace itself there are times where you flood out anyway so it doesn't actually hurt you that much so it's basically two mana draw card yeah Again, it's about how we look because this is the, both of these cards that we mentioned tonight or today is like it's how you look at a card in a vacuum for its potential versus like its flexibility so we're going to get into that later in the show is what we're talking about but I would put this in a mono red deck and try it out and see what happens because I need one extra card in my hand to be able to do something. Granted, yeah. Granted, like like I've slowly started to think about that a little bit more with mono white or white uh, like card decks that don't really have blue or green or even black to get some of that card advantage in a creative way. It's also hard to respond to as a card where like they can people are probably not going to stifle this
0: effect yeah no we're not going to stifle this effect this effect i'm like looking at it i'm like like what like i would look at the, the artifact land type on this puts it like to my mind um in a deck that wants are as heavy on artifacts so i'm thinking like a brea or like some of those transformer some of the transformers again i was thinking like would megatron want this would optimus want this the fact that it comes into play, like those are three-colored decks. Brea is four-colored, like UK, so you don't really want it there. So you're putting in like Brudaclad, maybe. Like Brudaclad might be a place where you want heavy artifact themes. Or I just, hey, this I works with wonder...
1: Voltaic Key. This works with a lot of those uh, artifacts that untap a target artifact as well. Yeah. Um, there's just, okay, yeah. like it's one of those things where because it's a dual type as well, it, it gives some sort of flexibility. You can get tutored with Urza Saga as well if needed. So, like, I don't know i think again uh it's sneaky it's kind of like uh holdout settlements those old lands where they used to tap them for mana for particular reasons or you tap your magda to make a treasure or um you tap Arch- archelios that turtle to tap everything that comes in to play tapped so like yeah. again i don't know i think it's neat i think it's very neat i don't think it's totally mm. un- unplayable though i think i think it's flexible but
0: uh, um, I'm, I, I'll let you try it out. I'll try Tomic. You try this one, and we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll meet in the middle, my man. All right. Good. So what do we got tonight? So tonight we are talking about something. So audience, want me to run through this. Well, or... we'll, well, we'll we'll sort of lay it out because, like, so here's the True. here's what sort of sparked this conversation. So I mean, so, I, 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 many of you people out there on the internet, if our audience may or may not be perusing Commander websites because, I mean, you are may, may not have time for it, right? So when we catch interesting articles, and it's probably worth our while sort of using those as a springboard for other conversations. And we found a really interesting article about goldfishing. Now, goldfishing might be a thing that some people do. Um, there was, in fact, the article even has, an, has, a, uh, has a survey that said that, ask you, do you, do you, do you goldfish? Do you not goldfish? Do you use a? Do you play play your goldfishing fishing in, with cards? Do you goldfish on on Moxfield or on Architect or something like that? Uh, and almost twenty percent of respondents said they didn't goldfish at all. So some people don't know either or don't want to. I so the
1: time, like you said,
0: yeah. Um, so, but it's the article was interesting in that it pre- presented some interesting reasons to try and goldfish. So. P- to you, what do when I say gold fishing? like what does that mean to you? Like, because I mean everyone's got their slightly different interpretation of what this means. What does it mean for you when I, you say I, I'm gonna goalfish my deck?
1: Oh this sparked a conversation before we decided to talk about this issue because I've talked to Bruce many a times about cutting particular cards for other cards for situational things. And also, just the way that we look at deck building is, is slightly different in the way that we look at cards. So this sort of tied it in nicely, I think, the gold fishing aspect of when we're trying to sit down and play with our friends or play with strangers, how do we want our deck to run? And simply put, do we know how our deck runs? And what cards do we think are better than others? Or what situation might arise that we might tweak things? Um, for me, it's more nuanced with like, I... You know, I separate everything into piles by mana cost, usually, and then by effect. So, like, I'll have one one version where it's, like, all of the mana cost, and the other version is, like, all the other stuff, you know, from, like, 1 to 6, or 1 to 8, or whatever. And I just see, like, okay, what's the... I don't do math, but, like, what's the the rate that I could two, play two spells in a turn, or I could, like... You know, I I go into detail, I guess, in regards to, like, the situation. But I go into more of a potential. How much potential does my deck have in, in, like, a vacuum? Like, it's not going to perform like this all the time, because that's just variance. But what's my potential, I guess, when I go to Goldfish? Like, I'll shuffle it up, but I know that it's the best-case scenario, nine times out of ten. Because there's no one else to stop me, I guess, in quotes. Mm. How about you? I mean, you know, it's... it's interesting well
0: i mean like one similar like what i'm looking at to see and i'm looking to see a a couple of different things when i'm sitting down to goldfish for starters one of the things i'm looking at is uh increasingly looking at what my opening seven looks like and projecting out what um are my first four turns are going to look like which is this is like which is based off of like our conversation around mulliganing so i'm finding now when i'm when i'm looking at my goldfishing. I'm looking at my opening hand. Like, what does this mean? You know, turn like four turns down the table from now with just these cards. If I draw draw nothing else, so that's the first you know point of reference. Like, what does this? What does an, a good opening hand look like? Um, then the next piece I'm looking at is as I'm playing. Like, what does it mean? Like, how quickly can I get my my engines going? Whether it's ramping or um, other such like whatever other value engine I'm looking to build into the deck. I'll give you a great example. like the other day i I've been tinkering with my Slowgurk, the overslime deck, and I was looking at how quickly can I ramp towards putting a critical mass of lands on the battlefield before I deploy Slowgurk, because I want them on the table and so I can start dumping lands in my bin, but I don't there's a balancing act to be done there, right? Like yeah, so
1: Bruce so like when I do it, right? Like say yeah Rustine, for example, super variant, right? I look at it as like each turn will impact my next turn right. in this particular game. So like if I need mana, I'll play Ratsina on turn three. If I have a better card to play for some reason, like maybe I wanted to play like a like a Shigeki or something, right? Like let's yeah. just throw yeah. it out there. I'd play that instead. But I would go through each line of what I would do. Like Okay, so if I played Rotstein, what would happen next? If I played Shigeki, what would I do after that? And then I would go into like passing turn or whatever. And and quotes yeah, yeah. It's, again. So yeah, like, and then and it's like okay, how many times like uh, how many times would I want to cast this particular card in the, or this situation? Right. Um, like for Slogerk, you want to cast them, I'm assuming, as quickly as you can
0: uh, to get the value.
1: Or, or well, do you wait? Like, what's the yes. critical mass of turns? So I, I
0: guess. So I think like I don't want to stick gurk on turn three or whatever, like the moment I hit three mana, because of that, and in that situation, um, it's really difficult for you to start dumping lands in your graveyard without seriously impinging on your ability to deploy further things on the battlefield, right? Um, so. My actual, like my actual inter- interpretation of how this deck plays out is that I don't want to resolve it turn three. I want to resolve it on turn four or five when I have enough land because I've because I've ramped enough that I now can deploy, you know, two three drops, slow girk plus something else, um, or you know, slow girk and, a sp- and a and a and a counter spell or something like that, so I can not just get him removed right away. Because my concern is. That because Slogirk has a death trigger on him, and my opponents are going to want to target that, I want to be able to be set up such that I can either protect him or lose enough in the game where I have value in my graveyard that I can recur with him. So that's my interpretation of Slogirk, which is generated by, based on this particular ghoul fishing approach. Because um, I also find the Slogirk deck has got a number of complex lines, like you're talking about. Like, what do I do if... Because Slow just got a lot of recursive loops in it yeah. with the land because it's a it's a big old simic land pile, which you have yes, a number so of
1: I've, I've seen the deck at least once, and I remember that it was like that. But I guess regarding regarding um like deck structure, I guess it's like, okay, nine times out of ten, you're probably trying to ramp on turn two or three yes. in and in every deck that you're playing in some facet. So like, mm. Ancient One deck, right? That deck runs the two mana rocks that come untapped. tapped. It runs Arcane, Signet, Soul Ring, and basically, like, you can basically ramp by drawing and discarding with him to mill yourself and potentially mm-hmm. get, get like, a land into your hand, but it's not perfect, but I know what my critical mass of lands I need on the field to do something in the game. Yeah, so yeah. I usually mm-hmm. try to hit that point, and then I'm like, okay, like, I could potentially impact the board, but there's situations where, like, I played the ancient one and I couldn't do anything for several turns. I was taking a ton of damage in a game, and someone made me sacrifice it because they played a card that said each player sacrifices the greatest power on the board. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, okay, so that's cool. I I didn't really impact that game very much towards until the end. But I guess looking at it outside the box is like, okay, not just what I'm doing on my turns in gold fishing, but and I like this article because like, you know, it gives you that sort of like D20 roll where you like you roll a well, d20 for the situation and it well, will dictate what you let's do. Let's get now. to
0: that. because We haven't actually talked about that yet. So the article that we we're, um, we're talking about is actually referencing and there's a the link to it we'll put it in the show notes. It's called Challenger Playtesting Welcome to the Thunder Bowl. And essentially what it postulates is that to improve your 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 goal fishing practice um you can you replicate having an opponent by having your a d20 or a random number generator um, that you that you roll to represent the actions taken by an opponent, meaning you now have an ability to see w- if your d- opponent takes a variety of different stat- like, a- actions against you, how does your deck fare? Because when you're anybody's goal fishing without an op- without an opponent, it's pretty easy to get your engines online and get your reels spinning and do the thing. But how do you face when your opponent is presenting some sort of opposition to you? And the no, the, the the dice presents a way to replicate that it's not perfect we'll talk about that in a second but it's actually presents some ways to do it and we'll we'll reference the notes you can go and look for yourself read the article because you can adjust you know what each of the dice roll are going to represent so if your meta doesn't have a lot of board wiping players because they don't want they don't your meta doesn't like to have board wipes because they want the game to end well then maybe you don't have as much opportunity to roll like a, a whatever the board wipe option is, maybe that's uh, make a treasure or something like that. Like you can adjust the fields of your random number generator based on what you're more likely to, to to confront. And but the what it what it really tells you as a as a player, how my deck fair when my opponent is doing stuff to actively derail me? And that I think takes our playtesting and our goal fishing from being useful. Which is what it was to, to okay. I'm like, how does this make sense? Does my curve work? Blah 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 blah. Now you can see, okay, in the face of opposition, what is does my does the interaction I work make sense? Does my am, am I able to rebuild if I get blood wiped? Does what happens if my spell gets countered? What happens if my if I take some damage? My life total is under pressure. Can I still okay.
1: deploy yeah. all my game threats? So I think, I think simply put, as well, like as a caveat, when I look at this, because these questions obviously come up in, in our minds when we're looking at our deck in a vacuum, because, you know, like, you're playing basically by yourself to test the deck. Uh, understanding, like, the color's tendencies, and what I mean by that is, like, okay, green's removal is limited in this particular way, right? Like, most of its creature removal is fight spells. You know, or direct damage to a creature from another creature, so it requires a creature to be on the board. Unless it's paired with like another color, then its removal package becomes astoundingly better. You know what I mean? Or like, so like each color added creates an a, like a more complicated nuance of like, okay, what's the best removal piece for this situation, but also for my deck, because like a Rex Sage could be better in one deck and and worse in another deck, but they both play green. For whatever reason, um yes. right. And, and we've talked about this before in in, in just with our, just talking as as we do, because we like to hang out sometimes and just chat uh, about whatever we've been doing when in our, in our personal lives. But, um, I think this can give you a, a like a better understanding, this die roll situation of like, okay, what are the tendencies of my colors working together, working in tangent, or do they work opposite of each other weirdly enough because that does happen with some mm-hmm. of these uh, with some of these guilds, right? Um, my my favorite example would be like green and white, where it's like green is meant to go fat and big and tall, and white's supposed to go wide. But when you put them together, either they they one takes the place of the other one. You know what I mean? Like you either make a huge creature that's like a twenty twenty, or you make twenty twenty. Sorry, you make twenty one ones or something. Um, where there's like a conflicting sort of thing. Like white and black are very famous for this, right? Because death and life triggers and the way those colors work in tandem together is very, very synergistic because the life loss is balanced out by the life gain uh, normally.
0: Mm, um, yeah. So, like,
1: like looking at the co- like the way I was able to grasp like gold on my own is like the tendency of red's weaknesses versus its strengths. For example, are like red is very explosive turns, but also it lacks the card advantage sometimes to actually get there. So you have to figure out that balance in that particular color. Um, so, like, when I'm goldfishing a red deck, I look at, like, okay, what are the other colors I'm playing? If I don't have any, then it's easy to understand that I don't have any. Um, and these are my restrictions. And I think that'll also help, right? Because if we're looking at, like, what our opponents are doing, we should also look at, like, what are our limitations and what are our strengths and potential. And that's how I look at goldfishing as well. Is like, right. what is the potential of these colors that work the way they're supposed to work for this particular deck I built? So for Slogurg, if we go back to that example, um, ideally you're, you're Simic. So you got a lot of opportunity to ramp and also uh, protect your stuff with counterspells or mm-hmm. bounce effects of some sort. Or, um, you know, like Slogurg itself isn't as is a value piece. So it's it's easy to understand like what you're trying to do in, in a vacuum. But everybody can build it differently. It just the tendency becomes like okay, you're not you're probably not going to play artifact ramp because there's no need to because you have no. 75 yeah. ways to do it in two and three mana and one <laughs> mana. Yeah, you know what I mean, so like, yeah, that's the other thing I like uh, about gold fishing is thinking about okay, do I really understand what these colors do together or separately? Um, yeah, and that'll give more of a basis. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much. Um, regarding these die rolls, though, I really like. That it takes into consideration all the avenues of what you could potentially find um, in a standard game, right? Like uh, you have multiple D twenty rolls for combat, but it would be very—it would take a lot of time. But you could go through each phase, and you could roll a D twenty and see what happens for your you and for your opponent. Um, and then you could adjust it depending on, like maybe you put in a commander. You know, a lot of stacks pieces in that in that commander deck that your buddy plays. So you could figure out, okay, what are the chances I have to resolve this spell or something? Um, But what do you think, Bruce? I mean, I don't want to go too in the weeds with this, but I figured my mindset is about potential rather than being flexible. I like to look at, like, the deck as a whole with the colors as how they work together.
0: Right, okay. So, yeah. So, I mean... I guess when I look at gold this gold fishing and now with the presenting like, uh, the options with the of the R8 random number generator like to to replicate an opponent um I increasingly I I think my I bring an older mindset which I think is emblematic of what happened when I started playing commander um in 2014 with the fact that essentially you were walking into a situation where um you didn't know what you were going to confront and you needed to try and have as many tools in your toolbox to try and address it, and this is why you started having modal cards um, that were, you know, in, included in decks to try and um, try and give you an opportunity to respond to stuff. So, the card that always comes to mind is the card Dawn to Dusk, which is two yeah, right one sorcery, yeah. and returns target or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand or destroy target enchantment. So, if your key piece gets killed, you can get it back. If it doesn't, you can go kill theirs. And that sort of flexible card was something that I was, I valued quite highly uh, in my, in in early on in my deck building career. And I still do value that quite significantly when I am building my decks. Um, And so I think one of the reasons I end up perhaps running decks that are maybe not as explosive is because I have these flexible tools that are not as. Potent as they could be if I was just going for the, the like, right, right, hold, right to the wall with my strategy. I'm right. playing cards like, a, I, I could think of my Dagatar deck, there's a Draulkas command in there, which is, yeah, it's got the ability to put a plus one plus one counter on it to somebody, which is essentially what the deck wants to do, but it's got a lot of other modes on it too that <clears throat> allow me to, like, answer a variety of different threats. So oh, Bruce instead, instead of yeah. like just putting in something that synergizes with what my deck is supposing to do and go right to the wall, like go hundred miles an hour at it. So I like model that's... spells
1: too. It's more so just I look at it as like I don't want any dead options for what my deck has yeah, yeah. as well. So it is it's tough, right? It's a tough judgment call, really. Um regarding like playing these cards that give you a few different avenues. When you could probably play instead of playing uh, the the command, you could play a two drop that does something else, but it might impact your deck in some way. I guess. Uh,
0: yeah, like I don't know.
1: It's not necessarily that intuitive because again, it's it's your personal preference.
0: Yeah, know. and so I mean, I, I can look at my look through my deck, particularly my older decks, because many of them are still intact, and I can see that older mindset still impacting the way I look at I look at a deck construction, and I think I haven't quite reconciled that so many of the new creatures that have been pr- printed, and I would say printed since, well, at least War of the Spark. War of the Spark was when I really felt like the creatures took and went went a notch above and beyond what we used to be dealing with. And um, you know, and and some of the consequently also some of the other spells, I find the modal capacity on some of them were is much less interesting than it once was. So we go down the list like like you look at through many of these cards like printed in this newest set like there's cards that have tons of abilities and way more and way more capacity to be impactful. And I'm like, well, maybe this playing creatures now with that offers you the same flexibility like. When you look at that, uh, the Urtai from Dominaria Remastered, sorry, Dominaria United, like, Urtai is an excellent card. Like, it doesn't matter, like... Yeah, it hits
1: a lot of different things. It also is in blue-black, which sort of needs that, like, a blocker early. It needs a blocker early, usually, to to, to stabilize.
0: And it's a body, like, it's a spell-like effect on a body. Like, so, like reclamation stage is like sort of the old standard like oh look at that like it kills a it kill it's like a naturalize on a body but like urtai is just one example you get things like um like that uh, glissa the, the three mana glissa from one, yeah from from yeah.
1: aftermath is it or
0: no? that's a five what mana I one thing. Thing. yeah whatever the three mana one that thing is really yeah. good it's yeah, super it. good and it's like it's a it's a pretty wicked card that like if you can like restrict this, it's a it's a disenchant and it's a card draw and it's a it wipes off planeswalkers because it eats all their all their counters off stuff like it's just really good. Um, You know, you get this and other creatures that are coming out like sort of have these modal abilities now that you know make it harder to justify playing flexible spells. But I still find myself inter- like leaning into this into into playing into like, spells that answer a, variety, a wide variety of things instead of just clamping down and saying, okay, now here's my strategy, this is what I want to do. It's interesting, when I look at new decks that I've built, and you can see how much more streamlined some of them are, and i use the example of Office Prime, and my Office Prime deck leans into that plus one plus one counter theme, like, it's that's what it's doing. And the number of threats that I want to, like the number of flexible spells I have is way down compared to another deck I have in the same color combination where where it's far more spell-intensive, and uh, it just, it, so, it's just it an interesting dichotomy. So like,
1: it reminds me of, like, these decks you see online where they sequester things in different piles. So you've got your lands, you've got your, your utility or your ramp pieces or whatever, and then they have, like, I don't know. Some people go very detailed. They go like, "Okay, this is my removal package, this is my my creature utility, whatever. This is the purpose for this, blah blah." I think if you really understand the the nuances of your deck, then you flip that coin. Um it, it, this is the debate we're always going to have, right? Because you're never going to get to a point where you have all of the perfect removal and all of the perfect synergy, yeah. right? And like even those five color decks that have a- access to everything, they still have to sacrifice, like some of that for, um, you know, like you have to sacrifice like good cards for things. You that do to make your absolutely. Deck.
0: Like so, so, five so like deck, five color decks have a huge cost because you can you have access to all the best spells, but what are the best spells for what you're doing now? Yeah, exactly,
1: sure? exactly. So like like uh, certain examples that I've seen recently, and I've talked to you about this before, is like. I have a Sig River uh, guide deck. And it used to it was a deck I built years ago, and then I took it apart and I put it back together because there's some new Merfolk that were in the last set and some of them are super cool and I enjoyed that deck. So I played Ogier uh, the talk the, the triple token white god. Yeah like six yeah. mana, six six vigilance or whatever. Yeah. And then I realized because of the way my deck runs. I cut that creature, even though it triples my Merfolk tokens that I make, because I do have a lot of ways to make them. I cut that for true conviction because not only does it finish me the game, it acts as a utility piece for me to gain life, stabilize, d- get double triggers off of the uh, combat trigger, if you mm-hmm. deal combat damage, draw card. And it's just a nice, clean finisher. Yes, it's labor intensive as a three, like three white pips, but. I'm even considering now to put Nykthos in the deck because of how many blue cards I actually have in the deck. So the Devotion will always be pretty high. And playing that with Nykthos allows me to use it with Sig and the True Conviction to activate Sig twice for two mana. Ooh, there we go. Yeah, There's some interesting considerations. And I took the token producer and put it into my token deck for obvious reasons. But I took out Elder Gargaroth, which I thought was a better stabilizing piece at the time for that consistency and put elder Gargareth in a different deck so i've slowly started to swap cards thinking that they serve a better purpose in a deck that i know Mm -hmm. i know how this deck is supposed to run even if people blow up my stuff i still have that card in there because who cares because i know i'd rather have my deck run and do its thing than play a bunch of spells that really don't synergize what i want to do because i guess that's how i think about this game Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, goldfishing allows us overall to figure all these things out because you don't need to know all this stuff. Certain decks function differently completely. Sometimes you're like, I just need to dictate. I need to control what other people are doing. Other times I have to react to what other people are doing. And there are times where I don't care what other people are doing or if they interact with me. I'm still going to try to do something. Right. So mm-hmm. those are the other questions I like to ask myself. It's like, do I care that they blow up my commander five times? In my is uh, in Xenagos deck, super hard to do, first of all. But in my Fabian deck, yeah. it's very difficult. If Fabian dies twice, it costs, like, 10 mana. So yeah. it costs 12 mana or whatever. So it's difficult because I'm like, if I'm going to cast her, I need to do something with her immediately. As soon as she hits the field at 6. Um, So yeah. that's the other consideration that I make is, like, do I really care if people are interacting or if I don't have interaction in my hand at the time? Does it feel bad or does mm. it not feel bad? Um. That's the other concern, yeah. I
0: guess. Well, I think I think what we're coming down to here is that, like, when you are goldfishing, fishing, it needs to be, it really for us to get the maximum benefit from our opportunities to goldfish, fish, we need to be looking at our goal fishing as being very purposeful. And the, the 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 article here gives us a framework by which you can make it far more purposeful. But also, the questioning that Pete is suggesting here is making your 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 opportunity to assess what your deck is doing and think, analyzing and think critically about what you're playing, so that when you do sit down to play live opposition, you really are giving yourself the best opportunity to be impactful in the game and have an opportunity to, to perform well. We don't always need to win, and that's fine, but sure. it's, more, it's more fun to have been in the game and to be an active participant than having been on the sidelines watching everybody else. Play cool cards, and you're like, "Well, my deck stinks." The big ones so this presents a really meaningful way to get good practice and intentional assessment out of your deck without needing to go and play a live opposition and find out for yourself. Oh, my deck actually is rotten. So, goal fishing is. Re- I think it's actually very important and needs to be done with a much more deliberate eye towards watching what you're doing
1: it also provides um this balance for you because you're comfortable with what you're playing and you're not like wasting wasting time yeah i don't i don't want to be that critical but there are times where i'm sitting there for like a turn cycle and i already know what i've done and i already know what i'm gonna do for the next two turns yes and there's a player in our in a pod that either the deck is completely new, which I totally understand. Like cons if you're the right out of the box and you only played them once, I understand. And if you don't have the time to goldfish, that's fine too. But at least know what you're getting yourself into. You know what I mean, with yeah. the triggers, especially if you have a ton of whenever this ETBs or when this thing dies, or like like Rusty is very nuanced. Uh, Slowworker is very nuanced. With a lot of things are moving parts. It's like a big puzzle. You put the puzzle uh-huh. together, uh, and there's just a lot of. There's a lot of stuff going on.
0: Pete, hey, hey, now I can't, I, I can't believe
1: I did that. All right, all right so, so let's just cut that whole thing. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. It's been, it's been, stop. It's, it's, been a long, it's been a long week. I've had a stressful week, so it's good to talk magic with you. And this is this this very much excites me. And um, I like when like people are playing decks that they really love, and Ooh. you can tell that they pr- they practiced in quotes because. Like they know they love that deck so much that they played it a few hundred times and they know exactly what they're gonna to try to do every time. It's fun to see that happen because you can tell like the amount of thought process, the amount of sort of overall uh instinct that they have with this particular deck. So I'm impressed when people get into that mindset. Um and it prevents me from getting annoyed when they don't know what the deck is supposed to do. Like, if they just goldfished... Sorry, not goldfished. If they proxied and printed out a deck from EDH Rec, which is not a crime in itself, but, like, a four-color like four tracks a list with all of the good cards in it. All of the good yeah. cards, where you're, like, the dude played Bristic Study on turn three, Smothering Tithe on turn four, you know what I mean? Fast mana, like, early in the game, and played, like, all of the board wipes in those four colors. Then you're mm-hmm. just like then you're just like this isn't a deck. This is just you playing all of the good cards. And we can't like we can't actually figure this out now because the deck like it's cool when I see the thought process, I guess. I really enjoy mm-hmm. this thinking. I think too much about my decks, to be honest with you, Bruce. It's, <laughs> it's 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 probably a bad thing at a certain
0: no. point. Well some, I some days that. I
1: just some days, Bruce, I just want to sit alone and just shuffle up the cards for like thirty minutes to an hour, and everyone else can just kick rocks. you know what I mean so
0: i I understand um, <laughs> I understand entirely, my friend entirely. Anyway, I think that's been a good conversation around gold fishing and the utility that it provides and sort of some different ideas to keep in mind when you are sitting at home and looking to looking at your brand new deck and wondering if it's going to do the thing. So, yeah, I mean, don't be frightened, don't be shy, and but, but do be intentional. Like, sit and, like, think critically about what you're doing. Like, like the, the questions Pete's asking are excellent questions to make sure that when you do play live opposition that you are going to be in the game and able to make an impact on the game, and you're not playing cards that you're going to say, so like, why did I run that?
1: So, like, here's some anecdotal evidence, right? Like, I I tested that stupid, that, that triple token doubler or whatever. Yeah. And it was like the nut draw, right? Like, this is something that would probably happen maybe once every 2,000 times I play the deck, right? You have Ogier at sticks. You, play the, you have Divine Visitation out, and then you play like an X spell that makes oh. a bunch of tokens, and then you make like 300 tokens or something that's my potential that's that's my highest threshold then there are other times where i goldfish a deck and i'm missing mana for like seven turns i'm like okay so maybe i need to reevaluate the ramp package i have in the deck maybe i need to play like a one mana uh birds of paradise or something instead of like another card that that tries a ramp or something um or i need some treasure production in that one deck that needs the ramp these are the questions i like to answer when i mess around because yes my threshold is like i can do this cool stuff but i also might have these limitations um that a random ah. number generator might not see it unless you do it four, four or five Ooh. times and you just do it on Agreed. your own like like without any caveats because at the end of the day this ge- number generator is just a tool but it can't it can't impact how am i feeling the the day i'm playing the game how are my how's my pod feeling what's the vibe Ooh. like what are the politics like? You know, politicking is huge um, for certain casual pods, and sometimes it's not even a factor. So I guess anecdotally, uh, I would just do it maybe with a deck you are struggling with to start off with, something that you see and oh. you're like, this deck is not working clearly. I have a friend, he uh, he logs every win and loss he does in Commander. Yes, that's a little bit too much, I think. Personally, for me, I would probably feel... Uh, too pressure to do that uh, consistently. If I like, I might get frustrated with a deck and just take it apart because it hasn't won in a while. Um, but I do like that his the premise is really he's actively updating things and looking at his deck as a whole and with all the moving parts in it as like a big puzzle, based uh-huh. on the wins and losses, based on his experience, based on everything else the deck is supposed to do. Um. He's really looking at it in a, in a very nuanced way. So, I think it's it. You can't go wrong. You know what I mean, you can't go wrong with that look yeah. of insight. You don't want to waste your time, right? So,
0: no, no one wants to waste their time. So that's I think is uh, is actually really really important. So that you know, when you do sit down, you're not wasting your time when everyone else is. So, um, it's got some real real applicability there, and things that we would encourage our audience out there to go and look at. All right, Pete. I think we've we've been out this long enough. I think maybe we should be moving to uh, saying goodnight. What do you think?
1: Uh, take care, uh, everybody. Cut your hair and enjoy <laughs> the next coming week. Uh, we'll be back at it next week, and we got some some exciting things going on. Hopefully, the next few weeks, we won't spoil anything. But no, no spoils because it all change. Yeah, it could change in a moment's notice, but. We know that uh, if, if if anyone has any topics, we're we're trying to figure out how to keep it fresh and interesting. Uh, Bruce, I really want to go back to the the lands discussion uh, because we did that a while ago. The the free real estate discussion we did with like mm-hmm. the lands and the MTG lands uh, website, which is sort of defunct now. But that's something I really want to cover uh, in the future.
0: Well, we I think I think always having a, particularly when we have new land cycles that come out. It's worth a while reevaluating where do things fall and what should we be looking at and prioritizing. So, uh, absolutely, we will look at lands and, and in the in the near future, uh, along with other things that come up in the world of commanders. So, uh, again, if you want to reach out to us for topic ideas, or if you like the like the topic the discussion today, or if you liked our guests we've had on, reach out to us in the show notes. All the all the social media stuff is there. We'd love to have you guys uh, participate with us. It makes it so much more fun and engaging when you guys. Uh, out there are reaching out to us and 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 helping us understand what you guys need and want to hear about. Um, well, otherwise, there, folks. Yeah, I agree with Pete. Like, have fun wherever you play Magic. Be good, behave yourselves, um, and uh, just have some fun, folks. That's the whole point. Have some fun, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon,
1: everybody. Care, everybody.
0: Bye.